Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Jesus teaches, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, is to, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. Last week, we dealt with, uh, we dealt with two treasures, the pursuit of two treasures. Previous to that, we were dealing with the Lord's Prayer. Today, our task is to handle, as best we can, this difficult command Jesus gives us. Do not be anxious. Let's pray towards that end. Lord, we are prone to anxiety. We are fearful. We worry. And yet we trust that you wouldn't command us to do something that we have not been empowered by your spirit to do. And so we as your people want your help. We want to be conformed into this way of life that you teach. Help us. Help us even now as we look at this teaching of yours to deal with it faithfully, to think through it carefully, to apply it um, thoughtfully. And we pray that it would transform us in your name. Amen. So this main command, do not be anxious, repeated three times in this text, 25, 31, 34. It's our main task this morning. And so let's up front here deal with this statement. What is Jesus calling us to? And it may be worth some discussion. How many of you, raise your hand, were raised on the King James Version? Great, okay. I figured it would be a, a large chunk here, okay. Uh, how many of you memorized this text when you were young and it said, take no thought about your life? Anybody familiar with that, that recitation? Uh, every translation has its pluses and minuses, right? I think this is one of those places where uh, there needs to be some work. Jesus here is not telling us to take no thought towards our life what we will eat or what we will drink. That's an impossible position to put us in, is it not? 
Uh, we have to think about our jobs. We have to think about making food. We have to do those kind of things. Jesus here, and it's even in the word that he uses, this anxiety he's talking about is really talking about a deeper concern, an undue concern, a, uh, a worry would be a great translation, a fear. And so here, the ESV and elsewhere, anxiety, be, do not be anxious, is a good translation. It's, it's not talking primarily about simply thinking about things, although certainly the way we think about our life will affect if we do progress into anxiety. It's talking about what we all understand very well, don't we? This, this heart attitude of worry, this disposition to our daily needs that is fearful. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, do not be anxious. Do not worry. Do not fear for your life. What you'll eat, what you will drink, what you will put on. And we understand this immediately. Um, we live in a deeply anxious time in, in space, don't we? Uh, I was looking up some, some statistics because statistics are kind of helpful sometimes. And the, the National Institute for Mental Health, so one of the big organizations tracking different mental health issues, uh, and you can argue about definitions or whatever, but the statistic is, it's telling, and it maps onto our, our experience of life very clearly. 31% of U.S. adults experience anxiety disorder in their life. Okay, so let's think about that. 31, one-third of American adults uh, I, I doubt the church is terribly better, experience anxiety disorder. And what they mean when they say disorder, and this is, you know, neither here nor there, but what they mean when they say this 31% is anxiety that is excessive and debilitating. So anxiety that is so overwhelming that it keeps people from living their life, carrying out their normal function in a way that is stable. And you guys, you understand this. I mean, we have friends like this. Maybe you yourself are like this. You, you get so fearful and so wound up about things that it actually begins to take over. Um, maybe it's taking over a night's sleep. Uh, you know, if that happened over and over and over and over and over again, you would probably be included in this 31%. But we all know this in everyday life, don't we? The loss of sleep. The biting of nails. That's me. <laughs> uh, the... the, the um, these different manifestations, these different expressions of a heart of worry come, shows up in many different ways, right? Uh, and may, maybe you're, you're here saying, actually, I'm, I'm not really like that. I'm not a very anxious person. I'm, uh, I'm pretty chill. Uh, let, me, let me just push, you know, to set this need for us, to set us all on equal playing field here as people needing what Jesus is giving us today. Let me push. Do you tend towards control? Do you tend towards control? Do you like to have your hands in everything? Do you like to have order to everything? Do you like a plan, a system, a mode of doing everything? And do you hate it when that control is disrupted? I would like to have you consider that you suffer anxious thoughts like the rest of us. You are a worrier. Control, the need to control is really a fear of what could be, right? Um, maybe you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not a control freak at all. I'm actually pretty chill. I'm, you know, I'm pretty, pretty low-key, whatever. 
we press on that. <laughs> passivity. What is passivity? You're afraid of getting in the dirty details of life. Right? We know this. You like to go snowboard, or you like to go sit on your porch, or you like to check out in front of TV, because doing the hard stuff of life produces anxiety. To care for the nitty-gritty things of life inevitably leads us to the temptation towards anxiety. So, those are two extremes, right? We all probably fall maybe in the middle, somewhere between control freak and totally checked out. But, but we all deal with this. We do. It, I mean, it shows up in so many different areas of life. And so Jesus is profoundly wise here to take us to the very bottom. Take us to the very bottom. He takes us to our food, our drink, our clothing. Which is a reality that whether we know it or not is what we get upset about. Now, in our modern times, and you guys get this, when was the last time you truly were anxious about food being provided on the table? When was the last time you were truly anxious about clothes being, clothing being in your closet or water coming out of your faucet? We live a pretty uh, insulated existence, but maybe, maybe anxiety shows up in some other ways. And I would say even if it shows up in these other ways, Jesus' uh, help here is very useful. We live in a day, don't we, where we get anxious because we live in a day of an independence. We live in a day where we are called by our community to be standing on our own two feet, self-sufficient, self-controlled, productive. We are in an independent age. And there's a problem with that. We've talked about this in our Sunday school class this morning. Identity does not stabilize very well in independence. Identity, that thing that allows you to know who you are and what you're here for, doesn't stabilize very well when everything is up to you to determine. We were created to be dependent. Vertically on our creator, horizontally on one another in community. And so we live in this day of independence where we have this delusion that thinks, I'm on it on my own. I'm my own person figuring out my own way, doing my own thing, and it leads to a world of anxiety for us. You think about it. We've, we've eroded the vertical dependence by taking away our religious institutions. People don't know how to answer the hard questions of life, and so they're anxious. We've eroded the, the social institution, family, community, these, these things that have given us people and structures to fall back on for centuries have been eroded around us. We live in an independent age, and it leads to a whole bunch of anxiety. And to, to add to the problem, when we go to people for help, help in our world, they give us coping mechanisms, tricks to kind of move us past our worry into some other headspace. You know, if you, if you just eat a bite of chocolate, when you start to get worried, it'll soothe you and you'll be better. You know, we're given coping mechanisms that may be soothing us for a moment, uh, but they don't have any lasting fruit. We need help. Jesus offers a better way, and, and it's before us this morning. Jesus offers a way forward that is neither a coping mechanism nor a just, you know, buck up and be tough and do it on your own. 
Jesus offers us a way forward. He leads us to fight anxiety through faith. To fight anxiety through faith. As we pursue our lives in this fearful, fallen world, Jesus gives us two truths to meditate on. And because we've been in this prayer series, let's tailor it this way. Two truths to meditate on in your prayer life that will soothe your anxious heart and allow you to proceed in faith in the midst of your fearful world. Two truths. That's our our goal this morning. To meditate on these two truths that Jesus gives us here. And in order to simplify things, I was wrestling with the structure of this. Jesus kind of does some cyclical work in this sermon. Uh, We're going to focus in primarily on on the statements Jesus makes in uh, 32 and 33. Okay, he makes two key statements here that I think does a good job of summarizing the rest of what he's saying. He gives us two truths here to meditate on in 32 and 33. So let's begin. Let's go to this first truth in verse 32. How does Jesus help us proceed in a life that isn't anxious about our life? How does he help us fight for faith in the midst of our fearful and fallen world? Truth number one, verse 32. Your new identity comes with a new provider. Your new identity comes with a new provider. Look at verse 32. Jesus says, after he gives another statement in verse 31 of do not be anxious, he says in verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So he says the Gentiles, and then he talks about our Father. So he starts with an old identity, doesn't he? When Jesus speaks of the Gentiles here, he's not saying primarily, you know, you Jews versus you Gentiles. He's speaking of the unbelievers, those who are outside of the people of God, which in that immediate context would have probably included, he was talking to a lot of Jews in this moment, right? But it translates to us too. He's saying those who don't know God as their covenant God. Those who don't live under a covenant of promise. The Gentiles. Those who are far off from God, his promises, his care. So he gives us this old identity, an identity that we were all in at one time. Maybe you still are in. Paul in Ephesians 2 describes it as having no hope and without God in the world. No hope and without God in the world. That's the identity of those who don't know God. It's this old identity for us. And and that old identity led, and still does for the Gentiles, it leads to an old form of provision. Jesus says, the Gentiles seek after food, drink, clothing. Why do they do that? Why does the person who does not know God seek after, and he's going to play on that term, right? Seek after. Why do they seek after these things? Well, because they don't have any promise. They don't have any promise of provision. They're out in the world on their own. They have nothing to stand on because they have no provision promised to them. So, of course, you're going to put all of your heart and energy and soul into getting food and drink and clothing because those are what you have to live for. You need them. We all do. And they have no promise for them. They have no greater kingdom and they have no promise for the here and now. 
So it's this, this old identity Jesus starts with that leads to an old attempt at provision. I don't have God, and therefore I need to figure this stuff out on my own. I have a, there's a certain sort of seeking after the things of earth that comes from an earthly identity. Jesus leads us then from this old identity to see our new identity. And with this new identity comes a new means of provision. Let's look at this new identity. Jesus says, your heavenly father knows that you need them all. See, through the, through the blood of Christ, we who were far off have been brought near. We who had no covenant promise have been given ample promises in Christ. We who had no particular relationship with God except for animosity, enmity, have been brought near to call him our father. To be given a relationship to him as his children. We have this new identity. Jesus already spoke to this when he, when he led us as his disciples to pray, our father in heaven. We have this, this relationship restored with our creator. And in that relationship, we have a new provision. We have a new provision in a new provider. Having God as father changes everything about our relationship to our needs. Jesus says, your heavenly father knows. Let's, let's spend some time meditating on what it means that the creator of the universe is our father. Okay? Let's spend some time meditating on this. You think about it. If you go to the doctor and the doctor diagnoses you with a problem, they now know your need, are you soothed unless, one, you know that it's actually a real doctor, you know, it's not fake, two, the doctor knows how to help, and three, the doctor wants to help. Without those three things, you're walking away in a whole bunch of fright because you have no hope in your need. We have a father who knows, who is able, and who is ready to help, who's promised to help. We, uh, in, in youth group, the junior hires for their curriculum throughout the week, year go through the New City Catechism, which is a great curriculum. Uh, it's a, you know, question and answer format. The second question, what is God? Answers this way. God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. So let's, let's apply this to our hearts here. God is the creator. Think about it. Not a single molecule exists in the entire universe that God didn't initiate, orchestrate, place, put into action. He designed everything. He knows everything. Nothing exists apart from his direct knowledge and provision. God is the sustainer. <laughs> Not a single apple grows on a tree. Not a single cow produces milk. Not a single family member makes a meal. Not a single war happens. Not a single pestilence comes. Nothing happens apart from his direct providence. 
his sustaining power over all of creation. Meaning, if you are in Christ, your father knows. And your father has everything to do with your provision. And because he's your father, he is ready to help. In Christ, we have this new identity. God, Father, us, his kids. And in that new identity, we have the promise of provision. He has the universe at his disposal. And he will care for us. Jesus drives home the wonder of of this reality in some really beautiful illustrations previous to the section we just read. Three illustrations, really. In the first illustration, in verse 26, he draws us to think about the birds of the air. In the second illustration, he, he draws us to think about our own inability to understand the extent of our life, which draws us to think about his ability to understand those things. And in the third one, he draws us to think about the flowers of the field. So let's, let's go through these three illustrations, and they illustrate this point. Your father knows, and he's able. He is your father. He will provide. Look at verse 26. Verse 26, this first illustration regarding the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. In other words, they're not farming. (laughs) The birds don't farm their own food. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Okay, so let's press into that a little bit. These birds go around and they, you know, pick loose grain and everything. But they're just, they're just living off of the provision that God's system has already produced, right? He's made a created order. He's put man here to harvest and create and cultivate. There's this, this system that God is orchestrating and providing for these birds. And just the thought that our creator God is intentionally providing for these birds is wonderful, isn't it? It's wonderful. 